You know, the way I see it is, do I want to spend all of my energy arguing with 160 kids and their 320 parents? What if I just went and flipped a house and made $40,000? What if I just refinanced that note and made, for, you know, save 40,000? What if I just did anything else yeah. in the world other than argue with kids? The huge mistake that I made for the longest time is I lied to myself and said, you know, it's the principle of the thing. It's the principle of the thing. I would say that to myself all the time, but what it really was the entire time was ego. So I did not like to be disrespected by, you know, or lied to, to my face routinely by, by 20 year olds or, you know, have parents treat me in a way that, that I thought was, was rude or uncalled for. But what I finally learned is that money might be in absolute terms, might, might be the same, but the way you, way you make it is vastly unequal. And I have strategically decided against engaging in behavior or, or any interaction that I think will drain me and focus on things that are fun and that energize me, which is buying, buying more property. I really love that. And I really dislike arguing with people. Hey guys, welcome back to the Fort Podcast. My name is Chris Powers and I wanna thank you for joining me today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this show, I would be super grateful if you would follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to. And if on Apple, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating and review. Last but not least, you can find all these episodes on YouTube. Thank you so much again for joining me and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Fort Capital. I know what you're thinking. Here goes Chris talking about Fort Capital again, but guys, it's important to me. Fort Capital is a real estate investment firm based in Fort Worth, Texas. That's why my Twitter handle is Fort Worth Chris. We have a track record of transacting more than 1.4 billion in assets throughout Texas. That's crazy to me. 17 years ago, I bought my first house for $100,000. The team over at Fort is currently looking to acquire Class B industrial deals between 10 and $75 million throughout the major markets of Texas. In fact, Fort Capital was named the fastest growing real estate company in Texas by Inc. Magazine last year. To learn more about Fort Capital, visit www.fortcapitallp.com. I'm really excited about today. I have at Student Rental Pro, the famous student housing Twitter account with me today. This one's going to be extra special because I started my career doing something very similar to what he's built a whole career around and does it much better than I ever did. So today will be exciting. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. So you're going to remain anonymous. And so let's just kind of set the stage with kind of your business and kind of your setup so everybody can get a feeling for for what you do. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So I am a uh, sole owner of a portfolio of about 96 or 97 units. And I have office, I have uh, market rate property, I have an Airbnb now, but most of my rent comes from college students. So I have probably rented to, to 21, 2200 students now. I have about 160 students that rent from me every year. 
And, you know, monthly rents around 160,000 for my entire portfolio, but 130 of that is with college students. So for whatever reason, I've continued to stick with students and that's what we're here to talk about today. Cool. And anybody listening can probably tell that maybe the geographic region of your end, but can you, can you give us a, uh, a little bit of a temperature check on, are you working around a big university, a community college? Like give us a little bit of idea of the type of university you invest uh, around. Yeah. So, so everybody already knows I'm not in Minnesota (laughs) or Boston uh, or Philadelphia, but a uh, large state school, I would call it, and I'm, I'm an alum of this school, so I'm, I don't think this is too harsh, but, but likely a, a safety school, but 30, 35,000 students and it's continuing to grow. So I think that's a, a good trajectory, but um, on the lower end of median income. And so not, not an issue with, with a ca- cash flow, like from a cash flow market standpoint. Yep. And, and, a, and a university that kind of covers all the major sports, obviously 35,000 yes, people. Yes, power, power, power five school. Cool. Power five school. Well, let's kind of start digging in. The, the first question, and you kind of have to be, you have to have a little bit of crazy in you to even get in this industry. So how did you get in this industry? Yeah, so it, it certainly was not on purpose. <laughs> in 2005, I bought a primary residence. I was 25 years old bartending, didn't have a ton of direction in my life, but I did have two roommates that were paying my rent. One of my buddies is in law school. Another one was going back to undergrad. And so I did get a taste of, of, of some real estate success early on. And like, you know, every other American, I, I have a passing interest in, in real estate values. So would check Zillow or realtor.com or whatever it was back then, but didn't really do anything about it until 2006, when some college students were living right next door to to us and they were looking for a house for the next year and were unable to find one. So I did like 45 seconds of internet research and I called my dad and I said, Hey, I think I can get like a countrywide mortgage with $5,000. Will you lend me the money? And so that's what I did. I went and bought a house and the rent was $1,600 and the payment was $1,555. So you can imagine how well that worked out for me. But I did not wait at all to learn anything. I just went and bought more. So I, I always believed the lie of passive income. So I just figured, hey, I'll just go buy more. It'll all appreciate. Everything will work out. So did some partnerships with my, my parents and then my brother and my, and my best friend and bought four more single family homes in 2006 and a triplex and a two unit and quickly learned in 2007 that equity was not going to be an option. So the only light at the end of the tunnel that I could, I could really see is to, to raise rents or, or to get some cash flow to try and make some money. And fortunately that the properties that I did own were close enough to the university that I was able to market them towards students. So it wasn't, it wasn't a choice. It was really by necessity. So bought, bought way too much stuff in the worst time of the market and was just trying to crawl my way out of it. Yep. You know, while Countrywide doesn't exist today, there's so many people that owe them a lot of their real estate career to getting those loans early on. I was in that camp too. Countrywide helped me out um, when they probably shouldn't have. Yes. Um, yes. Thank, thankful that, uh, that I got through it though. Yeah. Well, all right. 
let's start kind of getting into kind of the setup of, of how these deals work. And and you and you just said close to the university. While we're on that topic, when I first started, being close to the university actually wasn't as big of a deal. People actually kind of preferred like a one mile drive. Maybe they could get further out. And then as time went by, it was all about being walkable to the university. Maybe talk about your let's kind of get into what makes a great location. And before you set, get in there, has that changed at all for you or at the college you're at? Everybody's always wanted to be within walking distance to class. Yeah, so I graduated about 20 years ago, and it's certainly the campus has certainly expanded and the amount of students that, that uh, are enrolled is, is certainly higher. But I think the the demand for walkability has gone up tremendously in the last six or seven years due to the fact there's so much campus expansion. So, you know, one of the reasons I focus on residential student housing, like one to four unit student student housing, is anybody can go live in a large complex with 500 other people, but there's a tremendous lack of supply of homes and duplexes and quads right beside campus, right beside the bars, right beside the stadium. So, yeah, I, I I'm not sure if that answers your question or not, but I know I, I know this that when new complexes come in, which which happened has happened probably 15 or 16 times now in the last 20 years, that I, I don't worry about that at all because my product is a lot different. I think that you know kids that live in houses, you know, almost look down on the kids that live in apartments. They get more freedom, they have more pri- privacy, and they feel like they can you know not not really have to follow any rules at the houses, which which is, is usually the case. But yeah, I've just kind of seen a, a steady increase in demand. And even this year, we've had all of our all of our properties leased 100% sooner than we've ever done before. So I, I haven't seen any signs in, in my market of, of slowdown anytime soon. And for most of what you what you just said, do you think that people are looking for your product even look at the big apartment deals or are they mainly they're not choosing between the two or they're usually yeah, know so what the, they want? Yeah. So the path, the path usually is is like this for the kind of kids that I rent to. So just for some context, most of my portfolio is uh, one to four units that are three to eight bedrooms. And the kind of kids that rent from me are pre-existing friends. So they're in the same pledge class, fraternity or sorority, they have decided the next year that they're going to live together. So the the structure at my school is typically they live in the dorm the freshman year, their sophomore year, they live in the, in the, in the, their fraternity or sorority house. Then they move to an apartment, one of those big complexes. And then their senior year, they come to me. Yep. Cool. Let's, let's kind of talk about leases for a bit. So when do you usually start leasing for the next year? Like, are you usually leased a year out? And is a lot of this one fraternity group just passing it down to the next generation in the fraternity or kind of how do you go about your leasing and timing of it? Yeah. So one, one of the things I always encourage people that, you know, message me on Twitter that are, that are in other college markets is a huge advantage that I think I have is I'm the first to market for the following year. So I'll have my my website and even ads on Zillow just 60 days after tenants have moved in. So we we do give everybody an option to renew their lease, but if we know for certain that they're not going to we know for certain they're not going to renew, then we're going to go ahead and and try and advertise that. So I'll have 
you know, this year, I think we had 75 or 80% of the portfolio lease before the kids left for Christmas. And so that's for start dates uh, between June 1st and August 15th of the following year. So the great news for, for me is when I go to a bank and I'm trying to borrow money and I've got, you know, 18 or 20 months worth of leases with, you know, two and a half million dollars of outstanding leases, they're much more willing to give me better terms, better credit and things like that due to the fact that the, the, the demand is so high. Interesting. And, and like, um, let's say you're 60 days in, is it written into the lease that even 60 days in those tenants have to be willing to let you tour new groups through the property or are most yeah, of these yeah. signing kind of just by pictures? Yeah. So, so t- typically what happens is, you know, we give them an option, we give them, we give them two weeks to let us know. And then after that, it's a first come first serve situation where we're going to show it. And if, if it's still available when they, they've decided that they want to stay there, then then they're more than happy to rent it. But after that, after that time frame, it's 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 first come first serve. So we, we go ahead and start renting it, and you know that that's just one of the many situations where you have to give deadlines and boundaries to college kids. If you don't if you don't set any kind of framework for when something has to be done, it's just never going to be done. So we're we're very particular about time frame when de- when dealing with students. The irony of like the four years that you're in college and then you're expected to just kind of walk into the real world like a totally different human being. It's it's actually quite comical. We're going to get back to location, but what are the big kind of things in a lease? I think a lot of the questions that came in off Twitter, but I think what makes student housing unique is kind of lease structures and why you're able to get more rent than others. So like in your leases, you've been doing this 20 years now. What are the big things that matter in a lease that might differ from your traditional kind of multifamily lease or single family lease? Yeah, so my lease is is very lengthy. I mean, we have just about every issue, and I say just about because you n- you never say never in this business. But one of the things that I, I feel like is is different about my leases than others, and you know, certainly have lots of issues about late payments and damage and things like that. But, you know, starting with the lease structure period. So I don't have uh, parental guarantors and I put every student on a lease jointly and severally liable for the full amount. So if I'm renting to five girls and it's $4,000 a month, there's $48,000 total due. I put all five of them on one lease. You know, I don't get into how they split it up. If the room, you know, the rooms are bigger, and they want to split it up differently. And it's a great tool to be able to manage the property. So when they come to you and want to push back on, you know, Sally is late with her rent or, you know, Madison is late with her rent, you you can just say, I I got you, but $4,000 is due every single month. We don't talk about where, you know, we don't, we don't worry about where it comes from. It's just due. And the, the thing that I really like about this, that a lot of people I don't think think about is the structure of uh, a jointly and severally liable lease to pre-existing friends is you let you let peer pressure do most of the work so if one of the guys or girls bails on the lease that's going to have a huge effect on their friendships and their relationships and so you know i I learned pretty early on they're never going to listen to anything that i say and and they still don't but they, (laughs) they will definitely listen to their friends and so when you put everybody on one lease and you just kind of let peer pressure do the work, then you don't have to worry about parents. I love that. 
we did the same, except we used to do the parental guarantee. Go a little bit further. I, I You might have just explained it, but I think a lot of people would be shocked that you don't have parental guarantors. And are you just kind of saying it's kind of understood that the guarantee is kind of baked into the friendship or, or why do you leave them off? Yeah. So, so the, one of the first things, you know, everything that I buy, every residential property that I buy is are, are student rentals. And by that, I mean, only students would want to rent from them. So, you know, Chris, your family is not going to rent a five bedroom duplex, two blocks from 30 bars for $4,000 a month. The only person that's going to come to me is is a student literally 999 out of a thousand inquiries are from students and so i only buy those kinds of properties so people say well how do you how do you um screen them how do you figure out you know who's gonna who's gonna live there or not well the only kind of property that i buy is the kind of property that my 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 customers want and so you know back back to the back to the lease structure if i if i if i've put all of them on the lease together and I look back at my my you know two thousand plus tenants, and I've only had four out of two thousand not pay their lease in full. You know, you're, you've got a ninety. I went back and kind of guesstimated this that I've had thirty five hundred dollars out of you know between thirteen and fourteen million that was not paid. So if I've got that level of lease conversion, why do I need to add parents on there? So I, I, you know, there's certainly an assumption that it's going to come from the parents. The kind of kids that rent from me are certainly not hurting for money. But the reason, the reason I don't want to add parents is it's a tremendous amount of work too. So if you're renting to eight girls, and you know you're renting to eight 19 year old girls, that takes a lot of work to organize that to begin with. And then you're going to have eight separate conversations with eight lawyer parents who are going to want to redline everything in a one page guarantor lease. It's just a tremendous amount of work. So, and if if you don't want to get all eight and you just get one, well, who's going to be who's going to be the clown to to sign that when they don't know any of the other kids? They're going to be the one guarantor, and then all the parents are going to argue about who has to be the guarantor. So, you know, to each their own. But I also think there's some in in this industry, and I know it's different for agency debt. You know, Bobby Fajan and I have talked about that before, where. You know, if you're, if you're going to go get agency debt, you're going to have to have guarantors. But for somebody like me, I'm trying to, th- this job is hard enough. I don't want to add more work to it. And when you have parental guarantors, you're adding a tremendous amount of work and you're inviting more parental involvement. And if you, if you talk to anybody that, that does what I do, if they have one unit or a thousand units, they're going to talk to you about crazy parents not crazy kids. It is like every the, single one. It, you are so right. It is the Genesis. We're going to keep talking about this because that's, it's funny, but it's also true, but really quick, yes. I'm assuming you have them at least sign like, or fill out a resident app before you do like a background check to make sure who you're dealing with. And that's kind of your due diligence on the student or do you even do that? No, we don't, we don't even do that. So again, you know, back to, and, and, you know, maybe maybe I should be doing something different, but just looking at the the lease conversion, it's it's gone so well, you know, for the first 17 years, I don't really have a, a reason to change it. And again, the kind of property that I rent to is, you know, on a one to 10 scale, probably like a six to 10, you know, most of my stuff is probably in the eight to 10 range. So it's, it's expensive. Yep. And the kinds of kids that want to rent that kind of property that's really close to the bars 
It's really close to the stadium. Their parents have money. They desperately want to be there. They're having an awesome time. Their parents desperately want them to be there. And so if I get, I get the only way I can describe it is the only kind of people that want to rent my stuff is a very, very thin sliver of the population. And those kinds of people really, really want it. Yep. Back to parents. Like I remember my, my nightmares were like on move in days when the parents were there, you know, trying to move little Susie in and they were pointing out all the imperfections and I'm sitting there thinking like, you're not even living here and let your daughter grow up a little bit. But if they're not on the lease and they're not on the guarantee and you get a call and says, student rental pro, I'm mad that the carpet, whatever it is, how do you, how do you handle those interactions? Do you politely tell them that's great. You're not on the lease or like, how do you deal with that communicating wise? I think it's a big deal in this industry. Sure. So technically speaking, we don't we don't have to do that. But practically speaking, I think that's a bad idea. And I've changed my mind on this, have have really wrestled with the best way to, to deal with this. But the long and short of it is the kinds of parents that who, whose, whose children rent from me are not used to hearing no. They do not want to hear that. And you're only making it worse when you rile them up. And so what what I've kind of found is the. <laughs> the move move in day. I've, I've I've tweeted some version of this before. I think that is the unsolvable problem yeah. in my business. So, you know, I, I in general I try to take good care of my properties, but most of the stuff I have is between seventy and one hundred and twenty years old. They're renting it due to the location, and they have only toured this property from for between three and seven minutes ten months ago. And they're very emotional. They're very excited. I mean, Chris, you remember like, you know, you're 20 years old. You're moving back in for your junior year. You're with your best friends. <laughs> like you're ready to throw down. That's them. But they're all moving in at the same time with all their parents who are anxious. They've just driven from, you know, whatever other state. And there's just a ton of emotion. So one of the things that I've learned is the first thing is you never, ever, ever meet them at the property. So you you leave a lockbox with the key. So that that's not going to keep them from calling or emailing and, and putting in, you know, 10,000 work orders, but you will be entrapped like like a Liam Neeson movie where you 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 cannot get out of that. I've I've tweeted some version of this before where, you know, I've got an 80 or 90-year-old quad. I, I did $240,000 worth of work to this property and um just tremendous. I mean, it's like, it's probably the second ni nicest property I've owned, but it's 3,600 square feet. And you've got all of these junior home inspectors, you know, eight 19 year old girls and their parents all on a Saturday moving in 24 people. Or is that 24? Yeah. 24 people, you know, just looking for everything they can do. And if you're stuck there, you're screwed. So, but, but the, the short answer is just fix everything. So I'm, I'm a long-term holder. And we go to great lengths to present the property in as-is condition. We have an as-is addendum, and we we but we, we want the tenants to be happy, but we also are worried about training them for constantly calling us throughout the year. So if you run over there, you know, even if you're across the street, so I have lots of properties on the same street. If my handyman's across the street and he's like, "Hey, their 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 disposal is not working. Let's run over there." 
If he does that on day one, 15 minutes after they've moved in, we have just trained them that we are their butler. And I, I'm not, I want to fix everything, but you have to be strategic about how you respond because none of these kids have ever lived on their own before and they don't know what a correct expectation is. So you have to be really, really careful about how you, yeah, I guess how, how you respond to things. So I don't know if that makes sense or not. It makes, I, 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 this is one of my favorite episodes already because I'm feeling all the old feels. The only way you know not to send a plumber over 15 minutes after they call is because you've sent a plumber over 15 minutes after they call a few times before. That that was that was one of the reasons that that I that I joined Twitter too. So, Mill Snell is a good friend of mine. He owns a, a, a large roofing company as part of the SMB Twitter community, and he really encouraged me. He said, "You know, you've got a lot of unique knowledge. You really need to share this stuff." And you know that that's kind of the way I feel about this 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 whole niche is. I just had tremendous, just a lot of failures and a lot of anxiety and a lot of. I guess difficulty in the first decade of of doing this because I'm not I'm not a good manager. I, I don't I don't like when people are upset with me. I don't like, you know, super difficult confrontational issues. And this business, that's all this is. So my my hope is that I can save somebody's, you know, awful Saturday by telling them, don't don't go over there and meet the tenants, leave a lockbox. It'll be better if you deal with a Monday. Actually, this is an aside, but one of the things that we strategically do is we don't start leases on Saturdays or Sundays if we can help it. Because if everybody there is at the same time, that is not a good thing. So, you know, back to the amount of emotion and expectation level, when you get four or five moms inspecting, you know, the grout in a bathroom and taking pictures and getting worked up, it, it, they, they, they're just relentless and you, you have to be careful about how you, how you handle and deal with them. You're the best. Move in day is one of the hardest days. So just speak really quick to the term of the lease. So for any, you know, I'll set the stage a little bit, but you can run with it is you have all these kids that have been parting their ass off for a year. They got to move out. The house has to be turned. Then you have all these parents driving in from God knows where that all need to be there. So every you don't it's not like in some industries where you have a if it runs a week late, you're fine. There is no week late in student housing. No, you like, get murdered. People have planned, executed, executed yes. murdered, yes. put yes. in the, the, yes. the, the student housing graveyard. Because all these parents also are planning the move in months in advance. They've got summer schedules. Correct. They've got stuff to do. So let's talk about kind of move out to move in that that kind of 30 day chaos window. That's when, you know, the best of the best do it right. And the worst just totally get their lunch eaten. Yeah. So a uh, lot, a lot of tough lessons on that. So one of the things that I ask myself is who has who has solved this problem before and who has solved it at a higher level? And so a lot of the ideas that I have are, are, are stolen, borrowed, whatever you want to call them from the large apartment complexes. So what one of the things that they do is, you know, a 350 day or a 355 day lease that starts August the 15th and then runs till July 31st. And it start, instead of charging it, calling it rent, they call them rental installments or something like that to get around the proration issue. But what, what I do is, is something pretty similar to that, but I don't do all August move in. So 
probably a third of my port my student por- portfolio moves in between June 1st and June 10th and the the previous tenants will be moving out May the 21st to May the 31st and then I kind of do the same thing in, in July and August so we have enough time to get stuff done but you know we certainly have some issues which we can forecast where we have a you know a house it's a total disaster we're going to have to hire a you know entire painting crew to come in there and knock it out in a couple of days but one of the things that i've learned is if you have a great property or a highly desirable property then you can dictate the terms of the start date and the stop date of a lease so if it's good enough they'll do whatever you you require and so I only try to buy things that I can dictate the terms on that. And the only way to do that is, you know, great property. And I would describe that as A plus location, A plus condition, or a combination of both. And so, you know, the 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 summer is certainly a a, a bottleneck for just about every everybody that is in student rentals. And the way I deal with that personally is just stretch it out over 90 days rather than just doing a 20 or 30 day period like the the large complexes. Got it. Do you by chance do any house cleaning? So when I did it, I would have a, a monthly house cleaning service that came and that knocked out a couple things. One, kept the property clean, tenants happy, but two, kind of that monthly eye on the property because I'm assuming at some point you go in ahead of move out and kind of get a gauge for like what you'll be dealing with when they move out. Yeah. So I, I have, I guess, additional context. So I have like, uh, I have an in-house, my, my management team is in-house. So I have a, a, a manager, I have a bookkeeper, I have a maintenance manager, I have a couple of handymen and, and, you know, we do quarterly inspections with pest control and air filters and stuff like that. So we have, a, we have a really good idea of what we're going to need. We don't do cleaning services, but we do, if a, if a property has renewed a lease, we do go in there and clean after they've been there a year, because if you don't, it can cause, it, it can make it incredibly difficult to release the property for next year. And also it's just disgusting. So, so we, 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 and I think anybody in this niche does this is there's a ton of forecasting on what your summer is going to be like, because you never, ever want to get into a situation where you have to call, you know, college girls and tell them they can't move in when, when you told them. Because the thing that, Chris, I know you remember this, too, is you can tell them a thousand rules. They won't remember a thing. You tell them one, you make them one promise and they will all remember it. It's tattooed on their forehead. <laughs> and if you screw that up, then you're in trouble. So. We're very particular and very careful about how we deal with the move in, move ins and move outs. Do you provide uh, furnishing, an alarm system, anything like what? Does there anything that comes with the property besides the property itself? Yeah. So most of my properties, and, and one of the reasons, you know, other than just you know better cash flow, one of the reasons that you would want to rent to students or that I want to rent to students is you don't have to provide you know, utilities. So you, you can, if, if a group is renting a duplex or a triplex from you and they're all on one lease, they can pay the water. They could pay a common area light bill. And obviously all of these things are disclosed up front, but we do. Um, and I've, I fought, fought this for a long time about a security system. I just think they're so dumb because the kids will use them, you know, one time and then you know, Kyle will come in at three in the morning hammered and wake up everybody and they never use it again. Yeah. And so you're spending a bunch of money on a security system, but 
what what I finally realized is I'm swimming upstream. I need to, I need to get something. So we went and got we use the ring system at, at most of our houses now. It's you know three hundred bucks and you pay a couple hundred dollars to get it installed. So it does come with some security system. And 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 by the way, have se- have seen several of those ring videos on like Barstool or Old Row where the the kids have been hammered like on the front porch. So so I have gotten some benefit out of that, I, I guess, but. Did the furnishing thing a couple times three years ago and could not recommend it, could not recommend against it enough. <laughs> so, you know, especially if it's not uniform, then, you know, how are you going to deal with the turnovers of the the furnishings or, you know, you, you, you bought this one couch. Well, how do you get the same couch? Because that was presented that way when they were, they were coming through to tour the property. So we'll never do that again. And I, I can't recommend it enough. I know some of the larger complexes do it. I'm sure there's a tax benefit, but I am looking for less stress, not more. Yep. This is spoken from a man that's really been in this a long time. You have figured it out. Okay, but the okay, one more. Do you do you allow them to paint walls, drill TVs into walls? Like, what can they do to the do property? I allow them, or do they do it? Yeah. Anyway? Well, well yeah. I know what they're going to do. What? What do you say is possible? Like, can you drill stuff into walls? Can you paint stuff? How does that all work? Yeah, so I, f- I focus, really focus on simplicity because, and again, I was one of the, you know, full disclosure, I think one of the reasons I, I, I'm good at this business is because I was one of them. Takes one to know um, one. Yeah, I mean, I was I was in a fraternity. I live with my friends. We did tons of dumb stuff and I was probably <laughs> still doing that, you know, two weeks ago. So I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, and I'm not belittling them at all, but yeah. I, I also think that it's important for them and their parents to understand some context. But so we, we go to great lengths to present the property in as is condition. So what you see is what you get. So when you walk through it, you need to be okay with that condition. Yeah. And we, we don't we don't even prompt. We, we clean everything. We touch up paint or we repaint. We, we do a lot to it after the tenants move out. But we are very careful not to promise anything because. When you start doing that, then you get the cardiologist dad or the designer mom who wants customization for their daughter's room. And you're just opening up a massive can of worms when you, you know, allow tenants to paint. And, you know, am I going to go kick the door down if they've painted the room pink? No, but it's certainly not anything that you want to encourage. So the way most of the time, the way I handle it is I just tell them you can't do anything. And then they just do it anyway. So, and then I just deal with the repercussions after that, whatever that may be. Pets or no pets? Have a have a strong opinion on this as well. So your choices <laughs> with students are you can either get lied to all year about the Labrador named Winston that is in town with their, their best friend from the rival school, or you can get $350 as a, as a, as a pet fee and, and nobody has to get lied to. So you are going to have pets inside your house. That is not, that is not for debate. The, the, the question is, do you want to get lied to and get a small sum of money with that? Yeah. So you, you're just, you're fooling yourself. If you think they're not going to bring animals inside the house. That ain't the truth. Okay. And then appliances, I'm assuming you provide appliances, you provide washer dryer too. Yep, you know, uh, dishwasher. Most most places have dishwasher, uh, refrigerator, uh, stove. 
washer and dryer connections at every house, but I would say probably 90% plus washer and dryer. You used to not want to provide those either because they don't know how to use them. But, you know, <laughs> again, I, I just think, I think most <laughs> of the things that I'm talking about right now are just tons and tons of terrible operational mistakes and angst. And if you just swim downstream with students, it can be a lot more pleasant. So instead of worrying about if they're going to break the dishwasher, I mean, excuse me, the, 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 the washer and dryer, just assume they will and then price that in. I mean, because they will and you're going to have to get it fixed, but they want a washer and dryer. So just so just provide them one. I, I, I wish we could just do a, a slideshow that comes with this. It was like pictures of appliances post move out like the the refrigerator might be the best. Just crusted crap on every shelf. Okay, I think this is maybe one of the most important parts of the whole process. Let's talk the deposit. How much do you charge? And then let's kind of picture that group that just freaking let the house go. How do you, how do you, what do you charge? And then like, if it's way above the deposit, cause even a month of deposit, five grand, I mean, kids can do 50 grand of damage before they know it. Like, how do you I've think noticed. about all that? I know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think a couple of things. One, if you, if you are a college town investor trying to, to, to market to students, you can charge more, but I think the, the more than a month, but I think the problem with that is it's going to create more friction to the leasing process. So, and I, I can understand that as a parent, if I see, you know, uh, little Billy is is trying to rent this place and his dad, you know, the landlord wants, you know, me to pledge my IRA for, for a deposit, that, that just, that seems aggressive. And so kind of the way I look at it, so we just, it's a month, just like, you know, any other place where we charge a deposit. But the, the thing that, I would tell you is, you know, I'm, I'm a big, you know, and we mentioned this when, I, when we spoke last week, like I'm a huge 80-20 enthusiast. And I think, you know, 90 to 95% of the gain in student rentals will come from occupancy. And, you know, you can rent these things for thousands of dollars more per year than you could with market rates. And you can just use the excess cash flow to kind of throw money at, at the problems. And, and it took me a decade and a half to learn that. But so, so a, a couple of things. So we, we have, you know, the, fir the first thing is everybody gets something for free. So if you've rented from us and you, you turn the property over and it's in good shape and you broke a window, you're going to get your deposit back. So my, my rule of thumb is everybody is going to get something for, for free, period. Most properties that have had girls in them, you know, it might be a half a day, a quarter of a day, you know, some, some additional cleaning you know, 200 to $400. The average guy's house will probably take maybe two or three days and it might be, you know, $1,800, $1,200. But we certainly had, you know, the things that your listeners want to hear about, the, the ones that are really bad. I had, I think this was in 2015, some guys that were, I guess, lifting weights in the, in the, in the, in the shower and they dropped a, a weight or a barbell on the fiberglass floor and put duct tape over the crack and just left it there. And so we had to reframe, had to tell my handyman had to take take out the, the tub and reframe the tub and subfloor. And you know, you have situations like that. But here's here's how we handle it. I, I would say first before I talk about, you know, above and beyond issues, in general, I'm just not interested in using my energy to fight children and their parents who are often, you know, both lawyers 
in perpetuity over a busted door or a broken piece of glass. But when it's egregious, here's, here's how we handle it when it's above and beyond. So the first thing that we do is we offer a discount if they pay the uh, full amount, excuse me, we offer a discount if they pay it within seven days. So let's say they've done $3,000 in damage is we'll send them the invoice. Above and beyond the initial. Yes, above and beyond. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we'll send, we, we, and we have, you know, contractors, stuff like that, detail invoices. So we send them a, an invoice and we say, you know, hey, Billy, you had a $3,000 deposit. We got $6,000 of damage. If you pay this, this, this $3,000 invoice in the next seven days, we will reduce it, you know, usually a third. So if you want to, if you pay us $2,000, by this time next Wednesday, all is forgiven. We want to move on. We want you guys to move on. If you don't do that, then we will give you up to 30 days to pay it in to pay it in full. And if it's not done done by then, then we're going to send it to an attorney and we'll let we'll let them deal with it. So the the reason I like that strategy, and it's worked every single time with the exception of one time, is it shows them that we are not out to, you know, profit or make money or you know, really do anything other than just move on. So when you when you show grace and you show them, hey, we're just we're just trying to move on, and they know they know they trash the house. So so typically, what happens though when you send an invoice like that, they they kind of all have their fr- fingers crossed. You know, wherever they are at, at home for the summer, is like you know maybe we'll get something, maybe we'll get a bill. We don't we don't really know. So we'll, we'll call the house manager. So we have a house manager at every every property, and we'll we'll kind of explain the situation. And then, you know, he or she will be very reasonable and understanding of the situation. So as soon as the house manager gets off the phone, then my, 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 you know, image of this is they get on a text chain and they text everybody else. And all of those other roommates who haven't talked to my manager that have no details, no, have no, have no understanding of the situation, they go crazy. So they start sending nasty emails. They tell their parents, parents start calling my manager. And, and our, our tactic uh, or strategy is really just to remain calm the whole time and not engage in emotional behavior. So, you know, there, there's, 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 it, it's, it goes well when we talk to the house manager, but there's a ton of, a, of anger in the 24 to 48 hours after that. But typically what we do is we reach out three or four days later and we just say, hey, we just want to check and see what you've decided. And then most of the time, actually every time except for one, We've gotten paid in full. And the one time that we didn't get paid in, you know, for the, they didn't take advantage of the discount, we got within 30 days the full amount. So, you know, if you're listening and you deal with college students, I really like this strategy. I think you're going to get a much better return on your time with, with some strategic thinking rather than just saying you owe it all to me and fighting with kids that don't have anything to do all day except argue with you. So hopefully that was somewhat clear. And you would sometimes think the parents don't have anything to do all day either. I would. I, I used to think that <laughs> when I was when I was twenty five. My parents certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't engage in that. But no. um, yeah, so a lot, lot of tough lessons with that. But in general, you know, I probably lose um, you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a summer in you know gray area issues, maybe some wear and tear, maybe things that I just kind of let go, yeah. but. You know, the way I see it is, do I want to spend all of my energy arguing with 160 kids and their 320 parents? What if I just went and flipped a house and made $40,000? What if I just refinanced that note and made 
for you know, say forty thousand. What if I just did anything else yeah. in the world other than argue with kids? I love that. That 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 actual lesson is not even just a student housing thing. I think everybody, no matter what your business in, and you're fighting some problem, is can your energy be spent somewhere else to make the same amount of money and probably have a lot more fun doing it? That was awesome. Well, Chris, Chris can I can I add one more comment to that too? I think you can one add of as many the, as you the, want. The huge mistake that I made for the longest time is I I lied to myself and said, you know, it's the principle of the thing. It's the principle of the thing. I would say that to myself all the time. But what it really was the entire time was ego. So I did not like to be disrespected by, you know, or lied to to my face routinely by by 20 year olds or, you know, have parents treat me uh, in a way that that I thought was was rude or uncalled for. But what I finally learned is that, you know, money, money might be in absolute terms, might might be the, the same, but the way you way you make it is is vastly unequal and i have strategically decided against engaging in uh behavior or or any interaction that i think will drain me and focus on things that are fun and that energize me which is buying buying more property i really love that and i really dislike arguing with people i always point to johnny when there's something that's said that's going to lead this episode and that was me telling you that's going to be a long introduction about that is just like a masterful lesson. Ego is the enemy. God's got me into so many problems that it, when I look yes. back, it was all about me just solving my my worldly desires. It's and it's it's a con, it's a constant struggle. But I think one thing that has helped me a lot is I don't have any face to face interaction with my tenants. So I haven't seen or met any of them in six or seven years. And so. I'm I'm at a position where I'm the one defending the tenants to my manager and to my handyman. And the on, only thing that I'll say is I, I will draw the line at my in my you know team's dignity. So if if somebody's being super rude or super difficult, I'll just say, look, you don't have to go over there anymore. You don't have to talk to that person. I'll find another plumber. I'll find somebody else to handle that. Like, but in general. I'm much, much nicer than I was because I'm not the one that has to deal or, or I, I don't I'm not, I'm not the one being disrespected face to face. If that's if, if that makes sense. Let's take a quick break to highlight this episode's sponsor, Juniper Square. If you aren't familiar with Juniper Square, it's an easy to use all in one investment management software designed specifically for real estate owners. We have been using it at Fort Capital for several years now, and it has completely revamped the experience we're able to provide our investors through reporting, management, and efficiency. Here's a bit more on how Fort Capital utilizes the platform. Depending on how fast you read, you can look at our deal, approve our deal, sign our deal, and send money for a deal in under 10 minutes, assuming you've already understood what the deal is, like the frictional cost of how that all moves through our system now is a matter of minutes and it does not require any human interaction between that unless the investor wants it. We have investors that are in 15 different deals. They can go into their portal online, go to their profile and everything they could want from every document they've signed to every report we've sent to every distribution we've sent, every point of contact with them throughout the life of the investment is documented in one place. 
You can check out episode 37 to listen to my full conversation with Brandon or visit cjuniperquare.com for more information. That's S-E-E juniperquare.com. Are you interested in investing in commercial real estate but don't know where to start? Lex has created a new way for you to invest in real estate. Lex turns individual buildings into public stocks via IPO. Each building gets a ticker and trades like your other stocks. Now you can invest, trade, and manage your own portfolio of high-quality commercial real estate. Any U.S. investor can open a Lex account, browse opportunities in various asset classes such as multifamily and office buildings, and buy shares of those individual buildings. Lex opens up direct and tax advantage ownership in an asset class that has been previously inaccessible to most investors. Start investing in commercial real estate today by exploring Lex's live assets in New York City and upcoming IPOs across the country. Sign up for free at lex-markets.com backslash fort and get up to $500 in deposit bonuses when you fund your account. Again, that's lex lex-markets.com backslash fort. And now back to the show. And I don't think for folks that don't have never owned student rental properties, I, I don't think you can overstate enough the level of hate that can be brought out of a parent or a student when dealing with where they live. It's just another level thing that I've just never seen before. I've seen business owners care less about their place of work then parents care about where their, you know, little Susie and Billy is going to live. Sure. So, so I think one of the worst, probably the worst <laughs> parent we ever had was three summers ago and he was a cardiologist and my manager felt physically threatened by him and he wanted all of these things done to the property. And you, you, again, you just learn like, okay, if you want the whole house painted, we'll paint the house. We'll give you a new washer and dryer. It's just easier. Life's just easier. But you know, this may be a controversial opinion, but I believe the point of college is to learn to become an adult. And it it saddens me when I see parents, and I'm not, you know, the world's best parent by any means, but it saddens me when I see all the parental interaction that goes along with 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 the their students' housing. Like, you know, when my kids go to college, if they don't like their landlord, well, they need to call them. You know, like it's not you're not doing them a service by helping them. They need to struggle. And the best time to do that is in college. And I, I look, I need to be held accountable just like anybody else. And students and parents have certainly done that many times over the years. And I think that's that's been helpful to, to my business and, and my career. But in general, you know, if Susie or Billy doesn't like their house or it doesn't have a garbage disposal, well, guess what? Next year, they'll ask and they'll learn you need to ask before you move in. But yeah, there's no question parents are the, are the most difficult part of this business. If there's like a massive party at one of the houses, cop, cops get called. Does that fall on your plate or does that fall on the tenant's plate? So first of all, we have a demerit system in our in our town and they charge fines if there's any issue with the the rental permit holder. And so, you know, typically the the as far as parties go, the neighbors or surrounding or cops will take care of that stuff. So what what happens is when the kids move in in August or September, I mean, some of my properties are very close to seven-figure homes, which is a lot of money in in my market. 
And neighbors aren't going to put up with that. So they'll call the police, you know, at 915 when there's, you know, 283 kids in the backyard of a, a you know, tenth of an acre lot. So, you know, the, the parents and excuse me, the police and neighbors will usually nip that stuff in the bud pretty, pretty quickly. But if we get anything, any kind of disturbance or, or permit issue, then we go to the tenants and require them to pay, pay the fine because we can and, and would lose the rental permit for a year if we lose or excuse me, if we get a certain number of demerits. And so, you know, my, my kind of take of it is I, I want kids to have fun. I'm not, you know, I'm not naive at all to, to, to their behavior, but when you're threatening, you know, my livelihood or rent payments or things like that, then it's going to cause problems. So have certainly been the beneficiary of many, many police reports over the years. And they always kind of start the same where the the kids are lying about who they are and whether they live there or not. And by the end, the cop has figured out everybody has their licenses and, and knows the full story about where they live. And then they usually contact, you know, our, our, our manager about that. But one thing that I, I would say, and I have not done this, I've been tempted a couple of times, but if you're listening and you have dealt with college students before, the the ace of spades in this business, if you have to do this, and again, I would never do this unless it was a, a really, really bad issue, but you can go to the university and you can go to them and say, you know, these these kids are running from me, they're in college here and we're having XYZ issue and they will step in. I've seen it happen many times with other landlords. I have lots of friends that do the same thing that I do in my market. If it, if it gets really nasty, you can you can go there, but hopefully never have to do that. Don't want to, but that certainly could be an option. Mm. All right, let's talk just for a little bit about communication. We kind of talked about getting moved in, but you know, let's say Billy and Susie. We're going to stick with Billy and Susie. They kind of that, have, that's got to be the name. They that have has made the their name. way yeah. into this podcast, and we're sticking with okay. uh, little Billy and and little Susie. You got moved in. Everything's good. I think you said you used Appfolio, but I really want to talk did, about yeah. like how do tenants, I know tenants all pay one check, but how That's do correct. tenants communicate with you and then go a little bit further to like, what is your manager's job during the year? Just field calls? Does it all go through Appfolio? Like how do you communicate with tenants? Yeah. So one of the things, and I started doing this probably 10 years ago or so is you'll, you'll, if you've dealt, dealt with students ever, you'll, you'll realize quickly that even if they all live together, they don't communicate together or communicate with one another. And, you know, the, the best way to try to solidify that, and, and again, this is not a panacea and it's probably not even a Band-Aid, but it's something, is you, you, you require that the, 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 the house elect a, a house manager. So, We'll, we'll try to usually weed out if we think the, the person they suggested is, is not the most responsible one. But we choose that person and they try to, we try to get them to disseminate any information about, you know, if we're coming by to do any inspections or we need to come by and fix something, if I'm having appraisal done or any, anything that happens, we try to disseminate that through the, through the house manager. We do that through Atfolio with text messages and emails. And then conversely, when they submit work orders, they use Folio. But, but, you know, again, this is not a, a savior by any means, because oftentimes they will, even though my manager is notified about any of these work orders immediately with Folio, they'll send her a follow-up, they'll call her, 
They'll text her. So anyway, that's that's how we handle most work orders. And then we try to document as much as possible. So, you know, when you're dealing with irresponsible people or irresponsible niche, you have to have some kind of proof on your side when there's any kind of situation involved. So the mom and dads are always going to take the side of their tenant. And I mean, excuse me, their son or daughter. And I certainly understand that. But the only way we can counter some of that is with is through documentation. And the good news is college kids are not documenting anything and we document everything. So we try to do everything we can throughout Folio and do that. So my manager's job during the year. So it, it typically is a, you know, during the fall and winter, she's doing a lot of leasing. And in the spring and summer, she's dealing with administration. So kids moving in, kids moving out in the spring and summer, and then showing properties, signing leases, leases, collecting deposit, things like that during the fall. So, but in general, I would, I would just describe her job as to make sure that everybody is paying rent, not doing anything colossally dumb, and just generally happy. So I just really don't want in my business escalation. So escalation occurs when, you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I always use this example. So so it's it's the middle of winter, Sunday night at 10 o'clock, the kids put in at Folio that the heat's not working. So 7.45 the next morning, we got HVAC tech, knocks on the door, the kids don't answer. My manager and the HVAC tech are calling them, nobody wakes up, nothing, nothing happens. My manager calls later that day, they never respond. Later that day, the weather starts to get warm and the weather's been warm and warmer and warmer. My manager follows up again. The kids don't worry about it because it's now 77 degrees outside. Get a really, really cold spell on Friday night at midnight. And the kids wake up Saturday morning at, when I say morning, I mean afternoon, Saturday at noon, and it's 42 degrees inside the house. And the Supreme Court Justice, their, their dad is, will, will pick up the phone and threaten to sue me, you know, in, in every which way possible. And so one of the things that we try to do to combat that is use the house manager, document everything. And then that way, when the dad, you know, comes and, and threatens to, to take me to the Supreme Court, we can we can provide documentation that we've done done some things about it and just never got any responses because th- that is a that is a kind of a standard case of what happens where the kid will tell his parent 20% of the story. So that, so that is true. The, the heat is not working. The heat has not been working for the last eight days. What he has not told him is that we've tried to contact him four times and also tried to fix it without any responses. So that that's kind of a, a similar, like a typical situation with, with communication. Oh, it is so, anybody listening to this, he isn't exaggerating one iota. It is so, so typical. And, you know, kudos to little Billy's dad. He's really doing him a lot of life lessons by uh, right. by pulling That's you right. to the That's Supreme right. Court. Just call daddy if you're upset. All right. This has been great. Okay. So they're, they're, just to confirm that, does the house manager kind of know they're the house manager or on your end, you've just kind of said like, Okay, and they're not they don't pay less or anything. You just No, no, no. We s- just get them to sign something. It it's it just says, Hey, we we've elected little Susie as the house manager and Susie is gonna do her best to disseminate information and provide us information. And again, this is not a situation where you expect them to follow it. You just kind of throw it against the wall, hope it sticks, hope it 
anything that I do is just a small effort to try and reduce problems, but I, I never have expected it to solve everything or even maybe 40% of, of things. That is so smart. I've never actually heard of that one. I've heard almost everything you've said I've, I've heard or come across. I've never heard of the house manager. That's a, that's a great idea. All right. I think we've kind of been through most of, we've been through communication. We've been through what, you know, tenants can do. Let's just kind of go back to like a good setup for like a good location would be kind of walkable to the university, walkable to bars, but, but within the unit does, is everybody getting their own bathroom? Are they splitting bathrooms? How many beds? Like, are there anything inside of the unit that you've gone by providing this, our properties are better? Sure. So one of the things that I think about as someone who doesn't have property that all of it's different. So different age, different square footage, different floor plans. One of the things that I think about when I'm analyzing a property or walking a property is what will it be like to operate this? So I love like a, a lot that is not too tight with the neighbors. So if, if there's loud disturbances, there won't be issues. If they're if the if the lot is tight, are there primary residence owners on either side? So that's one thing I love is when I can buy a larger lot and there's you know quads or duplexes beside it where I already know there's ten they're, they're rentals excuse me they're they're renters beside the property. So that's that's something I look for. I love I, I, it took me ten years to kind of finally listen to this, but kids love a large lot, so they want to have space, they want to have a big backyard. You know, they, they never admit that it's for parties, but they just want to feel grown up, grill out, you know, hang out in the backyard. And, and so that that's really important. But in general, the flow of a floor plan that I like is really just a couple things. So large bedrooms are really important. Large living room is so, so yeah, I guess the power rankings would be the first thing is if it's really close to a bar or walking distance to a fun environment, which would be the bars or the stadium, huge plus. That will take care of most of it. The second thing is you want large large bedrooms. The bedroom is the unit of measurement in a college town. So everything that my friends and I talk about are is based on the bedrooms. Can you add another bedroom there? How many bedrooms does it have? How big are the bedrooms? You know, if it's if it's smaller than than a 10 by 12, Am I going to have issues renting that? If one of the uh, bedrooms is just too big, is that an issue? Because you, ideally, you want bedrooms of semi-equal size, so there's not arguments when they're trying to sign the lease about who's going to pay for what. You really want a frictionless process, and the way to get that is to have a great floor plan. So, so you know, good-sized living room, good-sized bedrooms, one bath for every two to three people is is enough. I really haven't seen a lot of price differentiation. When you go, you know, one bath per per two versus one bath per three. Very few of my units they have their their own bathroom uh, for each person. As far as additional rooms, there's it's not really necessary. So so the the I built a couple student rental properties, doing a couple more, just like you know infill duplexes and stuff like that. And what I really focus on are huge bedrooms. So like a you know twelve by fifteen, eleven by fourteen. Uh, a good sized living room with a, with a kitchen. So basically, you know, an open floor plan and um, in suite bathrooms. And if you do those, those, those things, you're going to get max rent. So you don't have to have like, you know, they don't care about a lot of other things. It's a very 
non-detailed way that they analyze. When I say analyze, they're just walking through it hungover on a Friday afternoon. Like, does it look cool? Does it feel cool? Do the kids look like, li- that are living there look like they're having fun? That kind of stuff, big visuals, a good floor plan, and walking distance to the bars will take care of most of it. But on that note, I, I will add one of the things that, that I have noticed and done lately is, and because I, I do like to try to, to do difficult things and, and try to maximize rents at, at, you know, properties that might not be as close, is doing like a, you know, Instagram wall or a mural, like in a stairwell or, you know, on the back of a carport where nobody's going to see it, you know, outdoor space with, you know, just a patio and some string lighting and some picnic tables, you know, you, you take a picture of some really um, nice outdoor space and you use that as your lead photo on Zillow, you're going to get blown up like that. That is different from what everybody else is doing, because most people will, you know, just do the bare minimum. And I understand that because it's going to get trash. But I want my properties to be occupied. Occupancy is what wins. And I, I worry about that. I don't worry about LTV. I don't worry about interest rates. I worry about occupancy. The way to fix occupancy in student rentals is to have great property. And you don't have to do a ton, but if you do a, a handful of small tweaks, you'll easily set set yourself apart from other student landlords. I, I didn't ask you this earlier. Who does the yard work? So have six or seven different yard guys. You know, I was just talking to my manager about this the other day. Like, you know, when I started in 2005 or six, you know, I said, you know, in the least they have to cut the grass and they're <laughs> oh, responsible yeah. for pest control. <laughs> and I just think how dumb and naive I was for a lot of reasons. But but those two jumped to mind is, is probably the worst. You know, the assumption of of college, like using any su- assumption, and, and this, I know I'm not trying to be like, you know, spiteful or hateful or anything like that. This is just the nature of a college kid, but they're just very irresponsible. And you need to assume the worst. You need to assume they will do nothing. And, you know, asking them to cut the grass, asking them to to spray for pest control is just ridiculous. I can't believe I ever thought that was a good idea. But but I will say this, one of, one of the funny things my handyman and I talk about all the time is, you know, back to that emotion of uh, of moving day, you'll have, you know, guys, at, you know, ask you like, hey, can we, you know, can we put in sod over here? Can we do this? Like do some kind of yard project, you know, that, you know, that our wives would want us to do on some Saturday afternoon that we would hate doing. Like they're excited about it because they're they've just moved in and they'll ask things like, can we plant grass here? Can we put, you know, put sod in this area that doesn't have any grass underneath the tree? And then like, you know, four days later, there's like 75 beer cans in the backyard and they're driving, you know, all parked in the yard and things like that. And you just kind of have to understand that the, the, I guess the, the time frame of the way things work in student housing. So ton of emotion when they move in and then once school starts, everything kind of calms down and it's usually okay after football season's over. And you're, you're getting into the spring and then you have obviously a lot of, of drama to deal with, with move in and move outs. But just, I guess just again, you know, swimming downstream with who your tenant is, what your tenant is really like, and not pretending that putting these expectations on your tenant that are unrealistic. I would say in a lot of ways, you've actually given little Susie and little Billy credit. 
I don't think you're taking away from the responsibility of him. I think in a lot of cases, you've actually softened the blow a little bit. It could, little Susie and little Billy could get a lot worse. We haven't gone there yet. Are you offering internships at Four Capital for little Billy and Susie? (laughs) Send them on down. Send them on down. Okay, last question on on the unit, and and you can just pick one or two or just one. But like, what is the most common maintenance error that kids get into? Is it drains being clogged by hair? Is it you know broken toilets? I do have one funny story on broken toilets. We had tenants, guys, broken toilet probably the first month they lived there. Never called. Never worked. So they peed in the shower and they peed in the sink the entire year, which was actually to them, they're like, that was pretty normal. Brush their teeth, never cleaned it. This was before we did house cleanings. They were totally cool with that. Okay. Back to the question though. Is there like something you've picked up on over the years that maybe you put preventative maintenance in place ahead of times that I I remember for me, it was a lot of like hair down the drain for five girls, you know, taking showers so we put those little caps in there but any kind of tips you've learned about how to maintain the house ahead of time yeah so it's like choosing your favorite child i think that you know the thing that jumps to my mind are always plumbing issues yeah sewer lines are are probably the, the the thing that um jumps to my mind is like the worst thing to deal with and so one of the one of the things that i do if if i have a property that has a backed up sewer line you know, more than twice, really, you know, if, if it happens a second time, then I go ahead and replace it because college students are never, ever going to be scared to flush anything down the toilet. And you have not lived until <laughs> you have gotten a call from, you know, four sorority girls on a Friday night when you're, you know, you're 26 or 27 years old out and they are, you know, freaking out because the sewer is backing up in their showers and their toilets and they have friends in town for the weekend. I, I would just tell you this, like if you listen to this podcast and take away anything, please, please, please just replace your sewer lines if you're dealing with college kids. It, it, your life is will be miserable because, and, and, and I, that, that goes for anybody. Like dealing with a backed up sewer line in your house is terrible, but sorority girls and all their parents at the same time is you just don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. So, yeah. But but in general, like one of the things that we do as far as maintenance goes, so could not be more anti-carpet. Like first thing to go, get rid of carpet. Most of the properties I have have hardwood floors existing, you know, ceramic tile. We do a lot of CapEx stuff from the beginning. So, so roofs, exterior paint, driveways, HVAC, things like that. But in general, really just I don't do a ton of prevention because I just don't know how how helpful it is because you 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 get your hopes up like okay if I put you know this brand new shower in they're never going to call me well one of the, one of the properties that I mentioned earlier that that quad that we did you know two hundred and something thousand dollars on we had a brand new bathroom all four of the bathrooms were brand new three times in one semester one of the girls got into the shower drunk and they even told my handyman this and grabbed the shower and pulled pulled the shower head down and it was a very i mean it's like a 250 dollar shower head so i just don't i don't think that is worthwhile energy it's more like you know you know ounce of prevention pound of cure thing i just yeah. believe just try to cure everything because you're not you're just playing whack-a-mole the whole the <laughs> whole this whole business is whack-a-mole okay maybe one of the most basic questions but if you had a house that would t- traditionally rent for call it 
2000 a month to regular family, what's like the percentage increase in rent you think you're getting because you're leasing to students as opposed to a traditional kind of tenant? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad we're finally talking about one reason that, that you would want to rent to students. But, you know, I can give you some specific examples. So I have definitely taken over property where I have just had the existing tenants, the lease, lease moved out and just marketed it towards students for, you know, several, several properties come to mind. One, one from probably 15 years ago. $1,100 a month to market rate tenants was rented for $2,600. Mm. Had one just last year, $2,000 for market rate tenants and rented it for $4,500. A very, very specific deal that I just bought had two bedrooms and one bath in each unit. I think it was $2,600 when I bought it and I paid, I think, $375 for it. But enclosed the dining rooms, going to put closets in those and going to rent that for $4,500. So you know, when I hear people complain about students, I mean, I, I certainly agree with that. But the spread you're getting, and there is there is certainly a lot of work for that spread, but the spread can be $10,000, dollars $40,000 per property in difference than a market rate tenant. So you got to deal with turnover. You got to deal with way more drama. It's a lot more work, but it's it's a lot like an Airbnb versus a long-term rental. Like you can rent it to, you know, a family or you can you know, change the sheets every other day and deal with some reviews and some crazy tenants here or there and make a lot more money. And so I, I would say it's it's almost always at least double, yeah. uh, but usually a little bit more than that. And and you're a long-term holder, but let's just say you are a seller. It's safe to assume, and how do you think about risk of, let's just say you bought something that was market rate, converted it to it being student rental now, are you all, is your downside, oh, I could always still sell it back and a market rate person would buy it or kind of once something's gone student, it needs to stay student? Well, the best way I can describe my portfolio, at least the direction that I've headed in the last four or five years is I only am buying property that students desperately want. So yeah. I would describe that as a larger group property, you know, two to four unit property within walking distance to bars. So if you can be within three blocks of 30 bars and, you know, enrollment goes down or new new competition comes in or what have you, I want the best because students are never going to choose based on price. You know, their, their parents are paying for it. So they're not going to, they don't care if you lower the rent. They don't care if you raise the rent. So it's, 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 it's good and horrible at the same time. And so I liken their decision to, you know, if, you, if your company, your boss is taking you out to dinner, you know, you're not looking at the draft specials at Applebee's. You're looking at like you're going to order whatever you want because you know the, that you're not paying for it. Like you're not going to be rude and order 10 fillets, but you're not going to be price sensitive. And that's the way most of my tenants decide. And, and what they want is a very specific property and it's a it's it's something i would describe as uh, a location that would make their friends jealous and walking distance to something really fun so if you can if you can walk out of a bar and point to your friends and say i just live you see that house right there like that is worth a ton of money to a student everything that you've just said and and you said you're kind of playing in the 1 to 4 unit per property you're not competing against institutional capital in that world, right? 
No, no. So um, kind of most of the people that that compete with me are in are like me. So they they you know own 10, 20, 30 units, rent to students. You know, the thing that uh, a lot of people have found is you know once you figure it out, they're they're not students aren't that bad. So and there's there's plenty of financial upside. So I definitely have a lot of other mom and pop competitors, but the institutional capital that comes in are large, very high end, you know, 900, a thousand, maybe $1,500 for one bedroom type apartments that anybody can lease from. So that, those are the kind of players that come into town that are taking, I guess, some market share, but I just have always viewed my product as different. Anybody can rent a 500 bedroom apartment. There's only, you know, 100, 100 houses that 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 uh, a student could choose from in a residential neighborhood right beside right beside campus. Yep. What would you if if you were to leave your current or not leave but extend to a new market, would you prefer uh, I think the way it's written is college towns or towns with colleges in them? So I would, I think it would be, be specific. So I've gotten in many debates with Twitter, Twitter folks over this, but you know, my, my whole take on the alleged decline of, of college is that it's going to be unequal. So, you know, university of Phoenix and roast beef tech and ITT tech are going to have a vastly different outcome than, you know, Stanford, Chapel Hill, Penn state, University of Texas, TCU, places like that. So, you know, I would I would be very, yeah, I'd be very nervous about buying a a student rental property several miles from campus in a tiny liberal arts college like in the hills of West Virginia that we've never heard of that cost, you know, eighty four thousand dollars a semester. I think those folks are going to get hard hit hard. Mm. But if if People think that Penn State and Ohio State and and you know Chapel Hill and places and University of Georgia are just going to go away quietly with their endowments and all of the skin in the game that they have. I, I think that they're probably wrong. But if they do start to decline, I think the best way to hedge that is buying scarce property. And you and and they might cost millions of dollars in some of these schools, but if you buy premium property you know, you can always get that rented. Again, going back to who's paying for it, the parents are paying for it, but the students are mostly the decision makers. And so where I where I see um, a gap in, in a lot of markets in mine too, is not maximizing the location with the condition. So uh, Chris, I'm sure you, you saw lots of this, and I certainly did in college too, where the best property is in the worst condition. And what I, because because landlords think and and they're they're not wrong they they think that students are going to rent it anyway, and charge high rents. But what I would argue is the trajectory of student housing is getting more and more, or has to be more and more high end and luxurious for you to get it rented, and parents are willing to pay for that. So I I, I could see somebody coming in and 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 finding you know, a, a landlord or, or, or two in a market and trying to buy a lot of really run down property in A plus locations and maximizing the condition and location and, and, and doing well with that. You could, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think there's, there's going to be some losers in the college space, probably needs to be the liberal arts college in West Virginia. But 
yeah, you can learn stuff online, but as long as kids like bars and and guys like meeting girls, they like football, their parents want them out of the house for four years, there's going to be a, a big market for, for college for a while to come. Yeah, and I, I'm certainly no expert on college enrollment, or I'm probably not an expert in anything, but <laughs> I, I do think that you know the clearest path today for almost everybody that's middle class and up is, is through college. And when that path becomes, you know, wider or, or less clear, I think that, that that could change. But, you know, I've mentioned this on, on, on Twitter, 100% least sooner than I've ever been this year. The, the freshman applications at my school are, are higher than they've ever been for the next year. I can't speak for every school and I would be careful about where I bought. But I just don't think that I think it's overblown and fun to say that college is dying. Yep. Also, I'm 100% biased. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert in being biased and, and yeah. fixing little Billy's uh, plumbing problems. All right. Two kind of more things, and then we're going to bring it home. But before we get into the stories, we're going to end with stories. I just thought it'd be kind of cool when we were talking in our in our pre-call, you said, man, thanks for the, some of the stuff you're doing on your podcast. I actually bought a property, a 16-unit deal that had a bunch of environmental challenges because I listened to your episode with Mark Gilbert and he talked about why people are wrong about shying away from environmental problems. So I just figured it might be cool for you to share kind of a few minutes of how you listened to it, what happened next absolutely. and why you're able to get comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. So um have listened to, to lots of your episodes. Eric Weatherholtz is obviously amazing. John Marsh. <laughs> You know, Bobby's and 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 listen to Mark's, I think, in, in January. And, you know, one of the things and I, I followed him on Twitter for, for a long time. But one of the things that I, I thought was interesting about kind of his take is everybody says, like, you can't buy stuff with environmental issues. And Mark's like, no, you can. And I'm going to do it. And so I, I had had this the 16 unit property that was that was brought to me and it was out of market. But. Everything about it I loved and I thought it was a great deal, but it had it had some gas tanks in the in the parking lot. And, you know, my my father in law's an engineer, so I've, I've ta talked to his company about it. And I've talked to lots of lots of bankers and underwriters and asked, you know, try to perceive the risk of the situation. But I listened to that episode and I just DM'd them on on Twitter and said, Hey, you know, here's the here's the phase two report. You know, what do you think? I try to make it as succinct and as easy for him to respond as possible. And anyway, set up a call and he was super helpful and super generous. And he just told me in a very nice way, like I, everything you've told me about this, like I would not worry about it. I think you're fine. And my whole life has been, I'm just trying to find somebody who, know, who, I, who I feel like is trustworthy who knows way more about the situation than I do, and then just do whatever they tell me. Yeah. So I know Mark's got a great reputation. He knows what's going on. He saw the face too, and he's like, "You're good." Okay, well, I'm good. So, so that's what I did. So I went and went went and bought it, and am am very grateful for his his help. And one of the things that one of the reasons that I that I joined Twitter from from Mills Mills Snell's encouragement is I feel like I can you know be of that service in in the student rental industry because. I'm sure Mark's dealt with this and Chris, I'm sure you have in, in your business as well too. Like just a lot of difficult situations and just uh yeah, terrible experience. And I would, 
be remiss to not try and help other people avoid those. The thing I like about your podcast is you've got a lot of great operators on there. So I'm just very uh, skeptical of investors that haven't dealt with some operational issue in their in their business because it's one thing to tell you know your manager oh we'll go tell those parents to you know buzz off but it's another thing to go tell a mom who's a lawyer and a dad who's a who's a who's a surgeon you're not going to tell them you know about their their son's lease who they're who they're financing so um you know i, I would just uh just to you know tell you thank you and and uh for for having these great folks on and just really love listening to operational operationally specific niches on here well i appreciate that and and that means a lot it's it's been a huge joy to me despite some of the the downsides of twitter the joy of it is getting to kind of pass it forward and play it forward sure. and um yeah you know it, it's it's so true especially what you do i mean you look at a student housing deal on paper it's like hey students are going to move in it's close to campus here's a map with all these bars on it but everything we just talked about, like you can only learn that through 15 years of getting kicked in the teeth. Like there is no other way to learn it. Maybe people will get a head start today on this podcast when they listen. But we're going to end this whole thing with like one or two stories that people need to be aware that when you're going to go buy great student housing properties and you're going to double rent and you're going to be close to the bars, these things could happen. So okay, we're going to so save I, the best actually, for last. So I actually wrote a li- wrote a list down. <laughs> so the first thing, the first thing that I would tell you is you need to have, if you're going to rent to students, you need to have a a the mentality of someone who approaches crime scenes. So like you you need to expect the worst every time you open the door. But several several things jumped to mind. I've had porta potties ordered to separate properties, not not just one property, but separate properties. And multiple porta potties each time. So a 19-year-old calling a construction company and saying, "I want three porta potties delivered to my house." So I've had that happen, and that that's kind of jarring when you pull up and you see porta johns at a house when you haven't done any construction there. I've had I've got a Victorian duplex where some kids climbed out onto the porch from the window and damaged it enough that my roofer told me I had to reframe the whole porch based on them doing whatever it is they were doing up there. Tons and tons of burnt furniture, like, you know, couch carcasses in the front yard, burnt siding from kids, like grilling out, things like that. I've had uh, girls call my manager. I think this is fun. It's kind of cute and funny, but they'll, they'll call my manager. And this has happened several times too. And they'll say, you know, there's a guy in our house, because none of these kids ever locked their doors. There's a guy in our house on the couch, and we have no idea who who he is. Like all five of us are here, we don't know who he is. What should we do? And I mean, I don't know the answer to that either. I had neighbors neighbors call and complain that across the street we had tenants that were bussing in kids for a party, like on a bus, collecting a cover in the driveway. I've had had neighbors call about a tenant. This sounds like something I, I would have done in, in 1999, banging on a neighbor's door because they thought it was their house. So oh, a lot yeah. of the houses, you know, looked the same and like three in the morning, just hammered. A lot of apologies after that. I have read tons and tons of rep- police reports over the years. This is not a damage issue, but this was incredibly stressful. This is the, the second to last door here. 
St. Patrick's Day morning, four or five years ago, I had some bats. So like the mammal, the flying mammal, the bat <laughs> bats. And I've had this happen at a couple houses, but this specifically, there was a bat inside of a, a duplex where five girls lived and they called it at like seven o'clock on St. Patrick's Day morning. And I had to ha- hire this really expensive wildlife company to come remove it, but it was a protected species. So I had to get it tested for rabies. And if it had rabies, then these girls were going to have to get like bunches of shots. Oh. And so I was going to have to deal with all of their parents, you know, like whatever, <laughs> tetanus, yellow fever, all this kinds of stuff. Fortunately, it was not rabid. But, but the, the thing that, that I would say my, my least favorite thing to deal with, in, and I only owned this property for four years. Thankfully, I sold it. But I bought a duplex six or seven years ago for $75,000. It was a 5,200 square foot foreclosure, four miles from campus. Rented it to 11 guys for $5,000 a month. So I had to do a ton of CapEx to it. But my cost basis was around $175,000. So when I tell you this story and I just said, I just went ahead and paid for it, then you're going to understand. Mm-hmm. They had a they had a, a party, Super Bowl Sunday, and were a huge living room. So it was like a converted daycare. Any, any of them are, are listening. They're going to know this. They're going to know this story. They were jumping off the kitchen counter and busted a floor joist and caved the living room. I wouldn't say caved, caved it in is too strong of a word, but it definitely was in the process of, it was separated from the rest of the floor. So they re- re- reported a quote divot in the, in the, in the software. <laughs> and we, my, my handyman calls me and he says, there's, there's a huge busted floor joist underneath. Like this is a huge deal. It's really unsafe. So just went ahead and fixed it. I think it was like close to $6,000, but that was probably my least favorite thing to deal with just because when you when you hear or see things like that that is worrisome for a lot of, a lot of reasons but the the reason i'm 100% sure they were responsible for it and this is a telltale sign for any student landlord is if they put in a work order and your your contractor shows up and they're all sitting in the living room hanging out they didn't do anything wrong if they show, if your if your handyman shows up and they're all in their rooms, and they won't come out, they did it. <laughs> they did it. So we, we they they we we fixed that floor joist and we couldn't. They were all there, like fifty cars there the whole time. They never came out in the living room. So that that's the thing that jumps out to me the most. Oh, I love it, man. Student Rental Pro. This was actually. This was so good. This I just walked down memory lane. Obviously, you run an incredible business, but you're also like as strategic as it gets. Um, yeah. This was awesome, man. I appreciate that. It's been fun, and yeah, I really, really appreciate it. And hopefully, I can talk some people out of some of the bad decisions that I've made. I love it, man. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person someday. And absolutely, uh, thanks again, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or subscribe on YouTube. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and chairman of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.